Good morning, Chapel Hill. Happy New Year. I hope you had a great Christmas break, and uh, we certainly did. Uh, before we lunge into the new year, though, I thought it would be good for us, as is our tradition on the first Sunday of the new year, to pause one more time just to look back and to marvel at what God has done and to say thank you for all that the Lord has done. Around you, for instance, you'll find all of the banners that represent our preaching from the last year. Take a peek at that. That's a lot of work that we did together. You remember this one? This was from Galatians, our series on Galatians. Remember that? There was another part to that called Radical. Jesus versus Religion. That was our Easter Sunday. Um, a blue-collar God, an undercover boss, when we talk so much about how God is in our workplace, how we are called to ministry in our workplace. And of course, uh, that was our uh, upside-down kingdom. That was uh, from the summer, our kids, our family service, and uh, then Revolutionary Disciple, where we spent so much time this fall asking the question of the Sermon on the Mount, what does it mean to be a true disciple of Jesus? You know, we look at these pictures, but think of all that that represented of our journey through God's Word in this last year. And then if you take a peek over to the right, you'll see what you might have thought was just some beautiful string art, but actually this represents lives in this congregation. On the left-hand side, 18 of our people, of our members and friends who went to be with the Lord. The next one is 55, 55 people who made first-time profession of faith in Jesus. The next one, 68, 68, 68 people who were baptized into our faith. And there on the far side, and it's the messiest one, 121 who became new members of the church because we know what church life can be like sometimes. (laughs) But that's a picture of what the Holy Spirit has been doing in the life of our congregation this last year. Aren't you grateful for what God has been doing here? I just couldn't jump ahead to the new year without pausing for a moment and to acknowledge that and for us to just say thank you, God, for your kindness. Thank you for the mission that you've placed upon our hearts and upon this church. But now we're going to look forward. A year ago this month, our session met together in retreat. And as we were looking to our future, we were asking this question, what does it mean? What is our focus going to be as a congregation? And this is where our elders and pastors landed Here's what we said. We will be a church that makes disciples who make disciples. We will be a church that makes disciples who make disciples. We will train our congregation, everyone who's willing to be trained, not only to be disciples of Jesus, but also to be disciple makers for Jesus. And we have undertaken that with great vigor in this last year. We sent a team off to a, con- to a conference on disciple-making. Even right now, our elders, every elder on our session, is meeting every Wednesday morning from 6 to 7.30 for 12 weeks as we're working through some material that we think is essential for us to understand before we ask the entire congregation to take it on. And as I said, we studied the Sermon on the Mount together to ask, what does it mean to really be a true disciple of Jesus? Not just a not just a church person, but a true disciple of Jesus. What does that look like? And of course, at the end of that series, we had a Covenant Sunday. Remember Covenant Sunday? 800 of you came up, more than 800, and and you wrote down, made covenants to the Lord, which we're going to mail back to you in a few weeks, by the way, and said, this is what I believe God is calling me to do to be a more faithful disciple of Jesus. Do you remember that? That was a very significant moment in our life as a congregation. We're taking this very seriously. What does it mean to be a disciple? And what does it mean to be a disciple maker for Jesus? 
We are in the process right now, just casting a little vision of what's going on. We are training elders, deacons, coaches, and life group leaders so that they will be able in turn to create a culture that replicates disciple-making Christians. And in the fall, we're going, I'll give you a little peek ahead, in the fall we are going to launch a third weekend service, probably on a Saturday night. It'll be an evening service. And we are going to create a service that is intentional in disciple-making community. And it's also an alternative for those who, for whatever reason, whether they work or whatever, can't be in worship on a Sunday morning. So this will be a very important new initiative for us coming in the fall. By the way, if you're interested in being a part of a core team to launch that, we would love to hear from you. And then, of course, my sabbatical. I spent my entire sabbatical thinking about this. The the focus of this sabbatical was the single question of the Lord. Lord, if you gave me ten more years of ministry in this church, what would it be that you would accomplish in those ten years? What would, at the end of of a decade of ministry from this point forward... What would I hope to see if, if, if you had your way? What would we be handing on to the next generation of leaders of this church? And here's where I landed. And I believe at the same time as where our elders were landing as they were back here studying and planning and praying together. If in 10 years it could be said of Chapel Hill that this is a church that makes disciples who make disciples... If in 10 years there's an ever-increasing number of people who could point to their spiritual children, children that they, spiritual relationships that they have nurtured and encouraged, and ultimately to their spiritual grandchildren, where those disciples of theirs have gone on and done the same with others. If in 10 years we could show an increasing number of people who understand that that is our call as followers of Christ, then to me that would be the ultimate fulfillment of our mission statement, which is working together to present everyone mature in Christ. And for me, it would be the greatest mark of God's approval upon our ministry together. So that is my heart. And I, that is the heart of our, of our leaders. And this is not a one-year program. This is a 10-year focus. A focus to do what Jesus told us to focus on in something that we call the Great Commission for a reason. This was Jesus' parting shot, the last words he was going to have to say to his disciples before the Lord took him, before God took him up into heaven. And Jesus' parting shot was something that we call the Great Commission. And so on this New Year Sunday, when we have all made resolutions, I suspect, about ways that we are going to improve our lives and probably already quit most of them, it is a chance for our church to be newly resolved. And I hope this is a resolution that will stick. And we are newly resolved that we will obey the call of Jesus to be disciple makers in this community and in our world. That is what we are calling you to. That is what I am calling you to. And I hope that you'll rise to that call. Let's turn to a very familiar passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 28. The last few verses, verse 16 and following. This is such a rich passage, and we won't be able to touch on all of it, but just pay attention to some of the amazing things that jump out at these final words of Matthew, the great gospel writer. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Isn't that encouraging? (laughs) They're looking at the risen Jesus, and they're still doubting. I mean, makes us feel a little better, doesn't it? 
Some doubted. They worshipped and doubted. That is just our life, isn't it? It's a life of doubting worship, worshipful doubt. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, would you open our hearts to receive your word today? And the parts of it that we find fearful, terrifying, comfort us, encourage us to believe that that which you call us to, that you can fulfill. Encourage us to believe that you mean it when you said, Jesus, that you would be with us to the very end of the age. So here we are, your people, sitting beneath your word in obedience. Teach us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Our starting point for this very familiar text, I think, must be this. Did Jesus really mean it? Did Jesus really mean it when he said every one of his disciples was going to be a disciple maker? I realize, by the way, that there are, I hope, many this morning here who are not yet disciples because... You have come, you maybe came at Christmas time and you're back to find out more. You're exploring, you're learning, you're growing. So this is, this is an out for you. I, if you're not yet a disciple of Jesus, you obviously can't make disciples for Jesus. So you are in on a, you get a chance to eavesdrop on a family conversation that I hope you will become a part of soon. But I, I just want to acknowledge that. I'm talking to those who count themselves followers of Christ. If we ask you, are you a believer in Jesus, you would say yes we are. And I think for the followers of Jesus, it is too easy for us to sidestep this passage. It is too easy for us to assume that it was intended for the original remaining 11 disciples, or that it's intended for the institutional church, that church, the church, or that it's intended for us paid professional Christians to do. But this idea that disciple-making is actually the call of every single disciple of Jesus, that's a little bit scarier. But this morning and for this year and for the next ten years, I want to pose to all of us this possibility. What if the Great Commission is, in fact, for every single disciple? What if Jesus really meant it? What if we indeed are all called to be disciple-makers for Jesus? Now, if you hear that question, what does it stir in you? Terror? Uncertainty? Inadequacy? It might be all of those things. But the first step for us is just to answer this question. Am I willing? If Jesus really has called me to do this, not someone else in my pew, not Mark up in the blue nightgown, but if he's really called me to do this, first question, am I willing? Will I obey? Am I willing to obey the call of the Lord upon my life? Don't worry about the reasons that you have that you don't think you can do it. Don't worry about all the fears that you find welling up with inside of you. Assuming that the fears could be dealt with. Assuming that you could be trained in the things that you feel inadequate to. The question is, are you willing to be a disciple-making disciple of Jesus? And may I... Just say this as clearly as I know how. I don't know that there is any other kind 
I don't know that Jesus ever intended that there would be any other kind. This is important for us to hear. I think the fallacy of American Christianity is that we view discipleship as personal and internal. Discipleship in in our American tradition, we view it as personal and internal. It means I study the Bible more and more faithfully. I go to great seminars. I pray regularly. I have a quiet time. I tithe. I give. I serve. I'm going to heaven instead of going to hell, which is always a crowd favorite. And all of those things are true. That is part of discipleship. But listen, brothers and sisters, this is not the whole of discipleship. The last piece that makes up the the circle of discipleship is disciple-making. And it is only when we have passed on what we have received, when we can point to others into whom we have poured our lives and our faith and who as a consequence are walking with the Lord and then discipling others in their process, only then have we completed the discipleship cycle. And I say cycle because it repeats itself again and again and again and again until we have breathed our last You know, David Lee, whom we we laid to rest yesterday, now he is set free from that. Now he's with the Lord. But until he breathed his last breath, he was still called to a life of disciple-making. And that means that we continue to study. We continue to learn. We continue to be discipled. We continue to grow. And we continue to pour our lives into the lives of others. It's the cycle of disciple-making. And I... I want to tell you, it is the most fulfilling way to live as a disciple of Jesus. This last piece that is so often missing from the personalized faith of so many American evangelical Christians. This, this part of sharing in the lives of others and watching them grow and walking together with them in that. It is the best part of faith. And I dare say, it is the only way to live as a true disciple of Jesus. So a starting point for us would be even for those of us who are willing but feel inadequate or fearful, it would be making this resolution. If the Holy Spirit will equip me and empower me, I will be a disciple maker of Jesus. If the Holy Spirit will equip me and empower me, then I'm willing to be a disciple maker for Jesus. I think then there's a next question that we need to ask after the question of willingness. Because if you're not willing... Then just, shut, you know, tune it out. But if you're willing, though fearful or inadequate, here's the, here's the next question. What is it that scares you? What is it that frightens me about this call of Jesus that makes it so daunting to me? Let's assume you are willing to, to obey the Great Commission and to make disciples terrified but willing. So what is it that frightens you about that? There are five verbs. I wonder if you saw them in the Great Commission. Five verbs. Go, make, baptize, teach, obey. Go, make, baptize, teach, obey. Say them together. Take a look at those now. And I want you to ask yourself, what of those verbs that Jesus commands me to do frightens me the most? Okay? Don't call it out. You'll steal my thunder. (laughs) I worked hard to be up here doing the talking, so just give me... (laughs) Go, make, baptize, teach, obey. As soon as you've got the one that frightens you most, raise your hand. Some of you aren't frightened about any of things. I don't believe you. 
Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> he said, it's not, it's just all of them frighten me. Okay, raise two hands if you got two favorites then. <laughs> all right. I, I'll tell you, let's listen to it again. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. I want to tackle what I think is probably the most daunting of the verbs in the Great Commission for the most people. And it's the smallest one. Isn't it? How many is the two-letter frightening command to go? How many find that to be the most daunting? Okay. Not as many as I thought. Or maybe you're, again, both hands, foot up. All of them. So, let, let me talk about that. How many... Here's why I think that is the most daunting word for many. Because we don't really understand what the word means. We don't understand what Jesus meant when he said that. Some of you think that this is what it means. Here I am, going about my life, sitting among my friends, my circle of friends, my family, and I'm very comfortable, and the call of Jesus is to go. And I think, oh, go. That means that I've got to get up and I've got to leave and I've got to go to some foreign country, to Romania or to Laos or Siberia or to Micronesia, somewhere. God is taking me to a place that has terrifying diseases and mean people and I don't really want to do it. (laughs) Any of you ever wondered if that was what go means? Whatever go is, wherever it goes, it's not here. And that's terrifying to us. Here's another way that people think about go. Here I am, again, ensconced among my familiar family and friends. But go must mean that I have to get up and leave the relationships I know and go find a stranger. And there's no one stranger to help it right here. Uh, <laughs> so, so, you know, I feel like, I feel like I'm... I'm cold calling, doing spiritual cold calls. Have you ever felt like that? Like, the only way for me to be a faithful disciple is to, is to do spiritually what those people that irritate me at 8 o'clock on the phone call do every, every night, you know? Surely there must be another option than these two. I mean, if that, those are our only option of that I'm going to go to a foreign land in order to obey God's call or I'm going to find some stranger and pigeonhole them with the gospel... I mean, it could be that God will call you to mission fields. The Lord does call people to the mission field. It could be that God will call you to be an evangelist. God does gift and call particular people to have the gift of evangelism. But disciple-making does not necessarily mean being a missionary or an evangelist. So disciple-making means what? Well, it's understanding that word. The word go in the original Greek is actually a participle. How many English teachers do I have out there? What is a participle? How, what, what does it end with? I-N-G. It's an I-N-G word. The word literally is going. In your going. As you go. As you're going about your life. As you're going about your career making. Your family making. Your friend making. Your play making. Your love making. As you're going about your life. In your going. Make your disciples. If we understand what Jesus really said and what, instead of what we've interpreted it to mean, then this is what it might mean instead. This is another image. I sit down here in the place that, that God has planted me, in the friends and relationships that I have, the, my 
family members, my friends, my workmates, my playmates. And it is in that context, these people that are around me, that Jesus says, now make disciples. Make disciples among those that you already know. When we understand that that's what Jesus was saying, in your going, along the way, the people that you already know and love, those are the ones you're going to be making disciples with. In other words, making disciples really means intentionally sharing Jesus with someone you already know in order to accompany them to a deeper place spiritually. Do you hear that? Disciple making is intentionally sharing Jesus with someone you already know in order to accompany them to a deeper place spiritually. Doesn't that change our perspective on disciple making? If you realize the ones that are most important to me are the ones that I've called to enter into this kind of relationship with. This struck me recently when I was thinking about my friendship with my squash partner. He is a friend. He is a believer. He's a member of our congregation. We've played squash for a long time, for years together. And yet after years of working out together, I realized through our conversations that he was hungry to grow in his relationship with Jesus. And honestly, I had not really paid that much attention to it. I was off the clock. I was playing squash. I was working out. I was having a friendship. But I wasn't thinking in terms of what God might be calling me to. And so finally I realized without, that my, my goal wasn't having to go anywhere else. It was right there in that relationship that God wanted me to explore what it means to be a maker of disciples. And so it started about four months ago with something called the 90-day challenge. You all know that there are how many Gospels in the New Testament? There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. For those of you who are not as Bible familiar, they're the first four books of the New Testament. They're not that long. They each have chapters. Their chapters are really only a page or two in length. And there are 89 chapters in the four Gospels. And one of the issues about following Jesus is we don't really know what, we've, what he's taught. Jesus said, go and teach him to obey everything I've commanded you. But we don't know what he's commanded you. So what better way to start than to actually read what Jesus commanded. So I said, let's do this four months ago. Every day... Let's read one chapter of the gospel. Start with Matthew. Read chapter 1. The next day, read chapter 2. The next day, read chapter 3. And when you're done reading, just write down in a journal the answer to two questions. What did I learn about Jesus? And what does Jesus want me to do? And so we began that journey together. Something as simple as that. One chapter every day, reading together. And in addition, I would send him a little email with some explanation about the chapter that we were reading, the little background information and and encouragement about what I was learning in this process, because I'm always learning. And it it was transformational. He he wrote in one of the many emails I got from him, this is one of the things he wrote. So I just sat down, and I share this by the way with permission. He said, I just sat down and read Matthew six to my youngest daughter. She loved it. We spent some time talking about worrying. It's the Sermon on the Mount portion where it talks about do not worry. She summarized it by saying, if we worry about things, we have a lack of faith. 
Stop worrying. Ask God to take over. It's very easy for me to worry about both daughters' futures, both near and far. I'm feeling more at peace in the word of Jesus and sharing it with them now more than ever. I'm starting to feel more relief knowing he has my back, end quote. And so, my friend and I are growing together as disciples of Jesus because I came to realize that go in this case did not mean Thailand or Cambodia or even the streets of Tacoma. It meant the squash court at the YMCA and a 90-day challenge to read the Gospels together with my friend. I want to make this point clear. Again, disciple-making is not necessarily converting someone. It is intentionally sharing your life with Jesus with someone you already know, in order to accompany them to a deeper place spiritually. I, I would say this, and hear this too. Every disciple of Jesus is called to be a disciple maker. Not every disciple is ready to be a disciple maker. You, you need to learn, you need to grow, you need to be spiritually mature enough in order to share that. So if this terrifies you because you feel like you're so new in the Lord, relax. This is a part of your growth process. But every one of us is called to journey towards this and to be that kind of a person ultimately. So, beloved, as we continue in our journey on disciple-making, I want to extend to you the same challenge I extended to my friend. By the way, the elders joined in, the deacons joined in. Pretty soon the, the two list in the email was pretty, pretty huge. I want to extend the 90-day challenge to all of you. I wonder how many of you have ever just sat down and read all four Gospels front to back, one day after another after another. This is a chance for us to take a specific step forward as a congregation. And we're going to help you. So if you would look down to the left, you like the journals for uh, our revolutionary disciples so much, we provided another set of journals for you. So uh, one or the other pew on the left-hand side, look down there, help out. Every other pew has got a pile of them. So pass them around. On the left, it's the other left. Holy smoke. (laughs) left hand side same thing up in the balcony pass this out for those of you who don't use the paper products this is called a a booklet or a journal (laughs) this will be on our website also if you want an electronic version What's different about this is, a, here's the question you're going to ask. So, so tomorrow we start, I know some of you got the, a jump, you're, you're eager beavers, but that's okay. Tomorrow we start Matthew 1, okay? So you open your page, you'll find a very, very cool introduction by a pastor in this church, and then you turn to the next page, and you find Matthew chapter 1, and there are two parts, front and uh, facing page. The first side, you you have just a few lines. We're trying to make this easy. So Matthew chapter 1, you write down, what did I learn about Jesus? And then on the other side, you're going to ask, what did I learn about disciple making from Jesus? In other words, what do I learn from Jesus, who is the original disciple maker, of how to make disciples of people? Some chapters will be easier and some will be tougher. but, but, But take this and let this be a reminder to you. So here's what else we're going to do. Every day... I have written a blog for that day. It'd be about a page. I would urge you to do your reading before you read the blog because it just stains you. Once you've read somebody else's ideas, you don't have a chance to think. So don't read my stuff. But every day, if you go online, you'll find a brand new blog for every single day, for every single chapter. 
And it will give you a, a little background and you can read as much or little as you want. And we'll send a few reminders in the early days of this to everyone to, to, keep, to remind you that it's there on, online. But read this, write this down. And then every Sunday, next Sunday, we are going to preach a sermon based upon the seven chapters that we have just read together as a church the week before. So I'm going to pull a theme for disciple making out of those seven chapters. And then next Sunday I'll be preaching on what we have read together. Okay? That's the plan. Are you just so excited you can hardly contain yourself? So I'll just ask this. Here we go. How many are in? Say, I'll do this. All right. All right. Uh, and, and if you're... If you're ready to take a next step in your disciple-making journey, you know what you could do? Invite a friend to do this with you. Right? Wouldn't that be an easy next disciple-making step? Invite a friend to do this with you. Again, you can go online. You can print this out if you want to. And do this with a friend. It is sweet and an unthreatening way. You don't have to have all the answers. All you do is say, here's what I saw. What did you see? And then you talk about it. Wouldn't that be great? I bet the Lord has placed someone on your heart that you could imagine would benefit from that. All right, beloved. I want to say one last thing about this. This is not about you. This is not about your Bible knowledge. This is not about your clever answers to difficult questions. This is not about your determination to make a bunch of disciples and notch it on your spiritual belt. It's about you making yourself available to the Holy Spirit. As you go along your way, on your way, in your going. That's what Jesus promised. Did you notice the great promise of the Great Commission is this? And I, and remember, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus says, listen, you're not going to do this on your own strength. I am with you. I will help you do this. Just obey me and trust me and see what I will do. And actually, that is the kind of promise we claimed when we were baptized. Whether we came up as an adult to be baptized and can profess our faith, or whether our parents presented us as infants to be baptized and we claimed the promises of the covenant for them, it's the very same thing we said. Holy Spirit, we give ourselves to you. We give our child to you. Will you take them? Will you claim them? Will you clean them inside out? Will you empower them? Will you gift them? Will you use them? And so as is our tradition on the first Sunday of the new year, we renew our baptismal vows. This isn't a rebaptism. It took the first time. But it is a reminder when you come forward and we make the sign of the cross with water on your forehead, it is a reminder that the Holy Spirit has claimed you for himself and he is with you forever and the Spirit of Jesus is going to empower you to do the things you say I'm willing to do if you'll give me the strength. Does that make sense? I want to add one other thing, though, this year. You might not be baptized. Maybe you've never been baptized. This is not for those who have never been baptized. This is for those who have been as a baby or as an adult. And so for those of you who would like to be baptized today, who as you're listening to this, you say, I want to follow Jesus. I want the Holy Spirit to clean me inside out. I want to be a disciple of the Lord and make other disciples as I grow in that faith. If you've never been baptized and you're ready to make that confession. And if you want to be baptized today. 
If you're ready to make your profession of faith today, they're ready to hear your profession. And after we're done with our renewal of vows, then we're going to bring you up here and we are going to ring in the new year by baptizing anyone who is ready to give their life to Christ today. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we set aside this holy moment, this sacramental moment, first of all to remember what you did in our baptism so many, many years ago for some of us. Thank you that you reached out to us. You claimed us. You cleansed us. You called us to yourself. And you are with us as you promised you would be. And so, Lord, we thank you and we give our lives anew to you this day. And God, I would pray for those who have not been baptized, but who say that today is the day that they want to profess their faith in Christ. God, would you stir them? Give them the courage to do that to come to the elders and to share their desire and their profession of faith in Jesus. Would you do that through them right now, God? We pray that many will come to faith, many will come to proclaim you their Lord, their Savior this day. For we ask it through Christ our Lord. Amen.